Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Associate Digital Media Producer here at Christianity Today, and we are going to be recording a special edition version of Quick to Listen this week. That's right, you are listening to your second episode this week of Quick to Listen because there's been a lot that's been going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, and we think that you need to be informed about it. I'm not doing this alone, obviously. I am joined by Mark Galley, our Editor-in-Chief. Hey, good to be here. Good to do an extra session. Exactly. I'm excited that we're doing it as well. I'm also joined by Ed Stetzer. Ed Stetzer is the director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. He is also an interim pastor at Moody Church, and I will not list every other... Father of three daughters, husband of one wife. Those are the things that matter most. Okay. There you go. Okay. Friends to Mark Galley. So that's right up there. Like hanging out friends. And and for this conversation, a Southern Baptist, (laughs) which you are not, though you are not far from the kingdom. (laughs) I'm very far. I'm an Anglican. (laughs) But you do have Southern Baptists here. I I want Richard... uh, What's his last name? Clark. 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 I just saw him at lunch. He just walking by uh, with his... There you go. So we do have a Southern Baptist on staff now, which was a... Good addition, in my opinion. Very excited. We have too many Anglicans on staff right now. You do have a lot of Anglicans here in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Didn't you write one time about your more high church roots? Well, I came to Christ in the charismatic movement of the Episcopal Church, and but theologically Southern Baptist. So that was that was a few decades ago before you were born. Okay. Yeah, that's often happens. People have to go to an Anglican church to become Christian. Oh my gosh! (laughs) You know, it's just hard enough to become an Anglican, a Christian in the Episcopal Church. So when I actually got a Bible, but anyway, that's another story. Well, now we are having an you know interdenomination spat. Let's talk about the intra-denomination spat. All right. I get to introduce this show this week. The SBC is in the midst of its own horrifying Me Too moment. That was said not by Morgan or me, but it's by Al Mohler. Uh, the 25-year president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, in a blog that was published on Wednesday night and then republished on the CT website this morning. He goes on to say, At one of our seminaries, controversy has centered on a president, now former president, whose sermon illustration from years ago included advice that a battered wife remain in the home and the marriage in the hope of conversion of her abusive husband. Other comments represented the objectification of a teenage girl. The issues only grew more urgent with the sense that the dated statements represented ongoing advice and counsel. But Mueller continues, uh, the issues are far deeper and wider. Sexual misconduct is as old as sin, but the avalanche of sexual misconduct has come to light in recent weeks, and it's almost too much to bear. These grievous revelations of sin have occurred in churches, in denominational ministries, and even in our seminaries. Now, uh, for reasons of confidentiality, Dr. Mueller doesn't give specifics, but he suggests that the problem is much deeper than the former president of Southwestern Seminary. And so we've invited Ed to talk as much as he's able to talk without breaking confidences about how extensive these problems are and why a person of Al Mohler's stature is going public and saying we have a serious, serious problem here. I do think we need to remind everyone this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to 
Christianity Today magazine. And again, to all our subscribers, we are so thankful that you do subscribe to this publication. And you guys know where to go to for that. You go to orderct.com slash quick to listen. So one of the stories that I wanted to highlight in here that we recently discussed is Andrew Wilson's column on the gifts of language, prophecy, and healing. And Andrew's written for us for quite a while, hasn't he, Mark? Yes. he is. Uh, he's become a mainstay. He's such a fresh and creative writer and just good, solid theology, and he communicates well. Helps our international reach, too. Exactly. Because he's from the UK. So I think, yeah, Andrew always has really interesting stuff. He sometimes takes, like, Bible passages. He did that one about the bears in the Old Testament, about people getting devoured by the bears? You know what I'm talking about? In the upcoming issue, he has one on the uh, Jesus casting the demons into the pigs. Oh, interesting. So he takes these odd and unusual passages and finds fresh and uh, interesting ways for us to think about them. One of the ones that I liked that he did recently was about baptism and about how both like baptism where you're getting submerged and both getting sprinkled and both of those, how both of those reflect what the whole purpose of baptism is. Anyway, he has like interesting theological ideas and if you're looking for something that you feel like is a fresh spin on it in a way that's not just trying to be controversial for the sake of controversial, I think Andrew Wilson does a really good job being thoughtful about yep. that. Amen. So Andrew Wilson frequently writes for our magazine. He has a column with us. And if you would like to read what he has to say, you can do that by becoming a subscriber by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, Mark, you know that we do gut checks. Yeah. Let's go. Let's hear yours. I don't know that I've caught up with the news, because uh, as I told you this morning when you were trying to relay it to me, I have been thinking about other things. I've been doing a writing project for CT, so I was kind of surprised that Al had written for us. I was glad our staff had taken the lead at getting that done, and that he the language he used was so dramatic. So I guess I'm in a see-and-wait position. I'm, I was grateful that he was humble enough to acknowledge that there are some serious, serious problems that need to be dealt with, so that part of me is grateful, but I'm obviously I'm deeply saddened that the Southern Baptist Church seems to be repeating the errors of the Roman Catholic Church and other various Protestant churches that have gone the way of all sinfulness when it comes to sexual abuse. Yeah. So just to clarify, we excerpted his blog. Yes. So his blog headline is The Wrath of God Poured Out, The Humiliation of the Southern Baptist Convention. And that was just not a headline that I had ever expected to see. And so I think, similar to you, I was kind of like, wait, why now? Why is this going on? Clearly, there'd been something that had been happening with the fact that Patterson had resigned. But the grief in here was a little bit unexpected. I don't necessarily feel like, in my experience as a non-Southern Baptist, feel like Al Mohler is like the most emotive person. So this was kind of, I was kind of like taken aback by how much he really seemed to be at a loss here. All right, Ed, I'm so glad that you are here to help us out and to clarify, I hope. I'll do it. What's going on? Well, I, th- I think this has uh, really been brought to attention through, uh, of course, Paige Patterson's words, his initial response, I've got nothing to apologize for, and ultimately the uh, rising up of Southern Baptist women, over 3,000 signing a petition uh, and more. And so I, I am I'm glad to see uh, Al's article. I think that's a step in the right direction. And, and there, are, there are things that are going on in the convention, uh, some that are public, some that are not public, where... Um, Issues of of morality, immorality, and abuse have become real and evident, and uh, I think that's as it should be. I think that if the Southern Baptist Convention were to become a tool to hide abuse, the Southern Baptist Convention needs to be dismantled brick by brick. And I think that ultimately, um, 
this moment is an important moment when we have to ask hard questions. How will we respond? And, uh, and there are right ways to respond. There are ways to respond where you uh, listen to and believe accusers, where you uh, report to police, where you do third-party investigations and more. And of course, so much of this was uh, brought to the surface from Dr. Patterson's uh, very unhelpful comments and his failure to address them uh, appropriately uh, led to his uh, being removed from his position 3 a.m. Uh, on a evening, a long night for, for many. To me, you know, I wrote an article uh, in Christian Today um, online three, three or so weeks ago basically urging him to retire so that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, when he would speak at the SBC, would not be... Um, there have been accusations against Paul Pressler, who's the other kind of early architect with Paige Patterson, of the Southern Baptist Conservative Resurgence, of which I should say that I am a uh, both an advocate of and a participant in. I was a Southern Baptist because of the uh, theological conservative nature of the denomination. Uh, but uh, I wrote three weeks ago that these... Uh, with Patterson speaking at the convention with these comments out there and and then the Pressler allegations, those come together in a glaring global story that would send the wrong message to women um, about what we think, how we value, and why ultimately their voices matter, and would make it very clear that people believe Southern Baptists don't care about abuse. Well, it didn't happen at the Southern Baptist Convention. It happened because Paige Patterson declined to really apologize. At first, saying he had nothing to apologize for in an article Sarah Pauline Bailey did, uh, an interview she did, a brief interview, and then his subsequent apology being not particularly, I'm sorry for the things that I did and and said that were wrong. And so, so what I would say is the incalculable damage that has been done to the Southern Baptist Convention in the last few weeks by uh, by this Paige Patterson situation I mean, is important. Now, let's be let's. Uh, I just don't believe that. Tell me why. I think what he said uh, deserves reprimand for for certain, maybe even the losing of his posts. But for for Moeller to write what he did and to have that sense of pathos that runs through his uh, editorial, his essay, suggests it's much deeper oh, of course it's, and but much more profound. Her question was what's going on, so I'm doing some history. Okay. And so... And so, but this has brought it to the surface. This has brought so it to I, the surface. I think you okay. do agree with that, correct? I do agree I'm with that. I'm trying to figure out what you disagree with. Uh, yep. I don't think this is, I don't think the problem is Paige Patterson in, in its whole. I okay. mean, I remember in 2011, I wrote an article about a, a, women, a woman's place, matter of fact, in the, in, here in Christian Today. And I explained in there that this idea of where Southern Baptists often in many places are creating uh, what I wrote in there, like Stepford Wives, that this is the only way, what it means to be a godly, uh, a godly Christ-following woman. It's deeply problematic, and I, I got a lot of letters to complain about that. So, so I think uh, I think there are issues of transparency, accountability, misogyny, and more, and they can all be addressed still within the theological framework that Southern Baptists do hold. But there's a real uh, in the water. There's a there's a culture that's problematic. I think Paige Patterson uh, was reflective of that in his response. Mm -hmm. But now, what I think is happening is is um, when when three thousand. I mean, when when Southern Baptist men didn't speak up. 3,000-plus women signed their names and their churches, and some of them got phone calls and complaints about it. And in doing so, they spoke up. Well, now we're seeing more of the men speak up and say there really is. And if you listen to women leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention, I mean, Beth, Beth Moore's article right. that came out was so significant and important, and people should read that. It's not a conversation about Paige Patterson. It's a conversation about how women are viewed and treated and in well, Southern I, Baptist. I, I think it is, in part, a conversation about Paige Patterson, but I think that it's a broader conversation as well. So, I mean, the whole Southern Baptist Convention has been talking about Paige Patterson for the last month. My concern is, in the article I wrote yesterday uh, when we're recording this, I said, 
let's not just move on. So a lot of people are going to say, let's move on because Paige yeah, Patterson's yeah. lost right. his job. This is not a let's move on moment. This is a time's up moment. What else is going on that needs to be addressed? And I don't. I think you got to deal with yesterday before you move on to tomorrow. And there's some things that need to be addressed. There's some honest conversations that need to be had. And I don't think those conversations are yet being had. I'm hoping Al Moeller, and he's the first, you know, Tom Rainer actually spoke this before uh, Paige Patterson uh, lost his presidency. And I'm thank, deeply thankful for his courage. And now as others sort of gain courage, I think we can start a more significant conversation. And knowing, I mean, you know, and these these moral scandals, some of them made national news, you know. So um, my, my, my friend, Frank Page, as he, uh, you know, made the national news for his for his morally inappropriate relationship, I believe, language that they used. Um, now we've got professors that have just in the last few days, some have made news. Uh, others, you know, feel working through processes. Um, it times up, and I think that pay, the Page Patterson conversation has led to a Southern Baptist reckoning. And I think that that's so basically a good thing. that's led to other people now telling their stories. Other yeah. Professors, yeah. pastors having to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's the way it stories works. Stories we can't really talk about yet. Yeah, but... so think about like Harvey uh, you know, Weinstein. I mean, that that opened up. And I, and I don't mean to be crystal clear. I'm not equating what Paige Patterson did with yeah. what Harvey Weinstein did at all. But I think ultimately, I think when 3,000 Southern Baptist women who say at the beginning were, were Southern Baptists, I think they said complementarian. I think when 3,000 say that, people say, I need to say some other things. There are things that have happened that I need to be honest about and go to somebody about or correctly confront or go to law enforcement. I think this is key. And so this is a time, too. I think it's a good time for people to remember the response to illegal activity is not how do we protect the institution? It's right. Let's call the police right so, now. Uh, without specifics of place or persons involved, what would be the type of things that are uh, the type of activities that are being revealed now? Well, I think there's different things. So, you know, I, I've uh, I mean, I recently learned of one situation, immediately went to the people Things are in action and process, and so, um, so I don't know all the situations. I, I, I immediately responded to one right. in ways that were uh, well. How are you supposed to respond in a situation like this? You know. Um, so what I would say is is that you know Southern Baptists. I think I think it's a dangerous thing, uh, and you don't have to do this. But when you mix complementarianism with misogyny and dismissal of women's voices, again, you don't have to do that. But when you do that, the ramifications are substantial, and I think that the uh, that some of that cultural reality has caught up and is is now, and I, I think I think it's good that Southern Baptists are asking questions. And you've got to address. I, I, so I don't think Southern Baptists are going to. One, one reporter asked me, "Is it going to be a change in the doctoral statement?" I, I just don't. It's, I don't think one day uh, Roman Catholics or yeah. Southern Baptists or Mormons are going to say, "Oh, I, we were wrong in our doctrine." But there's some real things that are wrong in the culture that need to be addressed. So one almost like devil's advocate position to this is that. We're looking at institutions across the country that are being affected by this, yeah. and many of them aren't Christians, and many of them are with people who at least have publicly stated far more progressive views on gender yeah. than the Southern Baptists have. So you could, I think, in good faith look at the situation and just say there are really unhealthy patriarchal norms that afflict every single institution in our country. You know, you could, you could make a, a, a broader claim sure. than that. And regardless say, regardless of their theology, we are, or even like lack of yeah. theology. I mean, you know? Morgan Freeman's on the front page of CNN right now with a new level, a series of accusations. So, so I guess part of me is like, you know, how do we decide? Oh, well, here for this conservative movement, this, you know, their ideas on gender doom them when we've also seen more progressive yeah. groups, yeah, have, have the similar problems, similar or sometimes even more heinous mm-hmm. issue than that. 
and I agree with you, but I do think it's fair to ask, are there expressions of complementarianism that lead to a greater sense of misogyny? I think for some, it seems that they're driven by, I talked to one reporter and I said, some Southern Baptists are driven by the agenda. Here's what women can't do uh, within our doctrinal statement. And, and there's one made a list of like 80 things. These are 80 things you can't do. Uh, and I think some are asking the question instead, okay, there may be complementarians, right? And say, but what can women do? In other words, they're looking for opportunities. They, and they may hold, as Southern Baptists do, that the office of a pastor is limited to men. And again, as I mentioned earlier, which Roman Catholics would hold and Mormons would Orthodox hold and Orthodox would hold. Yeah. And this is, this is not an uncommon, shocking position. But I think the difficulty is, is what's your starting point? And there's a whole, there's a whole lot of Southern Baptists that I've run into, um, and a whole lot of Southern Baptists that are wonderful too. And just, please don't hear all the, so I wish you could walk with me and see the wonderful Southern Baptist women and men across the country and around the world who are making a difference for Jesus. This is a hard time, uh, because I, I want to say that's not who we are. But, but I do think that when you begin with the assumption that you're somehow have to restore. And it's often not, and this is really key, it's often not even a theological complementarianism. It's a cultural expression, often a Southern cultural expression mm-hmm. that I think forces, and again, this is what I've written about on many occasions without controversy, that it forces women into a mold that is more based upon Southern cultural, traditional norms than biblical teaching. So again, complementarianism with certain forms of culture can be toxic and problematic. But again, I'm not here making the case that Southern Baptist changed your doctrinal statement. I'm here making the case that there needs to be some change in what takes place on how Southern Baptists relate to each other, the role of women, and and really some transparency on reporting. And I'm, I'm really thankful to see Al Mueller talk about third-party investigations. Uh, these are the things Southern Baptists need to learn that you report to the police, that you do investigations when there are substantial allegations, and more and more and more and more. You mentioned that Al Mueller had argued for these third-party investigations to happen when particular claims are made within institutions. What are some other practical steps that you're looking for, you know, real reform? First, I should say this. uh, Paige Patterson must not speak the sermon uh, at the Southern Baptist Convention, and I'll I'll, uh, I'll vocally oppose that, and many others will. I think ultimately um, this part of what needs to happen with him stepping down as the president of the Southwestern or being pushed out as president of Southwestern, he also needs to step away from so the So just sermon. for our listeners that aren't Southern Baptists. Yeah, so there's he's... an annual convention sermon, and he's giving the annual convention sermon. And that was the point that I made three weeks ago, um, and uh, <laughs> I've gotten the mail to prove it. Uh, I think, again, that's going to be the moment. And 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 if it does, I think many of us will uh, speak up and speak out. This is uh, Paige Patterson needs to do the right thing for the Southern Baptist Convention, step away so that this is not the defining moment at the Southern Baptist Convention. And just to give a little bit more context, again, mm-hmm. just yeah, yeah, I, no I really didn't know anything about Southern Baptist before I came Which here. Which you can, you know, you're not far from the kingdom. Again, I would invite you to, <laughs> and by the way, for the whole men thing mentioned earlier, we'll mm-hmm. baptize you. We'll get your baptism on the right side of your conversion uh, by immersion. Oh, it is. Okay. No, I had that. Okay, I had good. that. You had I'm that? not Anglican. Okay, okay. You're not Anglican? No. Oh, no. I'd like to welcome the two non-Anglicans here. So, <laughs> so we, yeah, so we, majority okay, here. Good, that's right good. Here, so let's just say there's no John the Anglican, but there is a John the Baptist. All right, <laughs> moving on from there, defending immersion baptism. All right, wonderful yeah. line right there. So I just, I did want to just kind of like paint a landscape for those listeners that we have that aren't Southern Baptists here. Yeah. So the whole reason that Paige Patterson is venerated yeah. 
to begin with is because of the fact that he um, kind of reoriented this denomination theologically. Yeah, yeah. So the denomination, and of course, people debate this, but I'm kind of on the side where the reorientation was necessary. Well, I say the winners write history. Well, yeah, right? winners write history. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I would say, I, don't, I don't know that there are many Southern Baptist historians who are going to write all the history. There have been some books written, and, and the winners call it the conservative resurgence. The uh, the people who didn't win, I don't call them losers. It sounds mean. <laughs> uh, they call, remember last time we did a podcast together. Mark talked about you know some Southern Baptist leader being moderates. Well, and I said no, no, no. There are no moderates in current Southern Baptist leadership because <laughs> the moderates were the losers in this. Yeah, they went and formed their own denomination called the Cooperative Fellowship, which has actually moved in a very fast mainline progressive direction. But one of the things that that Mueller talks about, which I already thought was helpful, was that you know the the conservative resurgence people of which I would be a uh, a, a beneficiary of and a participant of. They said, look how quickly the um, the mainline, uh, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, the moderates became mainline, walked away from even more issues of orthodoxy. And But then in the article, he said, and look how, and their accusations of us, it, it's basically, you know, this, the, the, it's the same broken structures with new people in charge. And I would say that that's an accurate. And, and that happened after this conservative. Yeah, you know, well, it sort of happened before. So it was the same people that just would criticize each other, but it's they were part the moderates. Of, it's and part of, I would think it's part of Southern culture. You don't publicly criticize other people in your community. It is, and I would be very careful to do that. So I've only, there's only two times as a Southern Baptist leader where I have publicly gone on record. One was when Richard Land made his unhelpful comments on race. And many African-American brothers and sisters were saying, uh, why are no white Southern Baptist leaders speaking up? And no one did because we weren't supposed to. And, uh, and I, I wrote an article. And, uh, and I, you know, Tom, Tom Rayner was the president at the time. So he got six phone calls demanding president my resignation, of, uh, president of Lifeway, my okay. boss. He got six phone calls demanding my resignation that day when I wrote an article saying these were really unhelpful comments on race because you're not supposed to do that. So no one, so I was the only white denominational official who said anything. And then three weeks ago, so notice the patterns, okay? One was an issue of race. Uh, one was an issue of gender. And I think ultimately that on an abuse, I'm not critical of you know the the pervasive Calvinism at Southern Seminary a lot you know publicly I'm not critical of the anti-Calvinism that you might see at Southwestern I don't do a lot but for me when somebody doesn't say something and, and African American sisters and brothers saying why is no white Southern Baptist leader even those who are lauded for their view on on you know thinking carefully and thoughtfully about race said someone has to say something and. In the Paige Patterson thing, I said, somebody has to say something. And I will tell you, it's, you know, I got a lot of hate mail, but the response from Southern Baptist leaders has been overwhelmingly positive. And I'm encouraged that now more and more people are taking steps to say, and I think Al Mohler's article is significant. I really do. And I think that will even embolden more people to have honest conversations about what's what's going right, on. So here. I assume a lot of those uh, emails and texts have been, I really appreciate what you said. I can't say it because of my position and uh, and now I think they feel that they can say so now that uh, you know I mean Al's an entity yet and now he and hopefully others will speak up because we have a uh, a problem it's not a problem that that happened a month ago when Paige Patterson's comments because I I've been told I don't remember his comments before but I'm told those comments have been before out there and then they then they kind of died down I, again the heroes of the story are, uh, are 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 women SBC leaders and I think that's key so uh, I'm glad that you know I'm glad to speak up I'm glad Al Mohler spoke up. But let's remember 3,000 women before before all these other people started to speak up, 3,000 women led the way, put their names on a document, and might I add, got calls. People called through the list to complain at their churches in some cases. They're the heroes of the story. This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. 
Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. Get started today at preachingtoday.com. All right, so I, I want to talk about the role of the internet in what's going on mm-hmm. right now. There have been some who criticized you and also Jonathan Merritt, who is not Southern Baptist, but is related to Southern Baptist leader James Merritt, for publicly taking on Paige Patterson and kind of, you know, if they were going to to blame you guys for what happened, inciting the social media mob. Yeah. What role would you say that the internet has played in this particular incident? In this incident, here's what it boils down to. Um, the trustees of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary ended the argument whether this was a social media-created firestorm when they actually tried to move him out and then had came up with a compromised position because they couldn't get the votes and to ultimately have him retire into this new role. How's that for a, a way to put it? At 3 a.m. So if someone said to me, someone said to me, well, you know, it was just a retirement. Yeah, 3 a.m., retirements when you're no longer the president, that hour is not a positive thing. But but so what I would say is is that so the question of whether or not Ed Stetzer or Beth Moore or anybody else was creating a tempest in a teapot ended when the trustees moved Paige Patterson out of the presidency. Meaning they thought there was enough substance there? Absolutely. Or how Absolutely. do you know, uh, just, to be, just to be fair, how yep. do you know that they just said, this is way too much bad publicity for us to endure, so he's got to go? Well, I've talked to the trustees, for one thing, um, and not all of them, but several of them. And and so, and, and to be fair, just so you know, as you know, in the second article I wrote at Christian Today, I mean, after I wrote my first article, I was approached by people who had, well, I want to bring this concern or that concern. I kept sending them to the trustees. But there's no question that the trustees saw the very real issues here. And no, nobody in Southern Baptist Life would, would, who knows Southern Baptist Life would say, oh, no, they, didn't, they did this because it was a bad day. No, they didn't do this for whatever. So the whole idea of this being a social media-created construct or controversy is really based on a group of people who kind of all posted, and it really became awkward. They posted on this private website called Connect, Connect 316. They have a Facebook page. And they all started putting, you know, rallying around these things. Well, they're really not. I mean, these are real issues, and these real issues uh, had to be addressed. And it's not just this. I mean, it's not just this. Keeping in mind, I mean, in my original article, I mean, this the seminary is largely being depopulated. Um, this is controversy after controversy. Uh, you know, this is this is a series of things. Why? And, and again, you know, before this incalculable damage was done by his failure to even think he needed anything to apologize for in the first story, and then this kind of. Um, Apologize for people who are wounded in the second uh, second round. Uh, what I said is, I just want him to step into retirement, and and that's ultimately what what happened. So so social media does it help us as hurt us? Well, I think it's bringing a greater sense of transparency. But but I would also say that I mean I've I've watched some things where people have uh, where things were being addressed with, and then became something that was different than the real reality, sometimes even legally, that were being appropriately addressed and then become something else on social media. So so I, I don't think that social media is the judge and the jury. And so you'll notice that between when I wrote my article three weeks ago and when I uh, wrote my article after the trustees' action, I didn't have comments. Well, that's, there was one very egregious thing on social media that I responded to. And so, uh, but it, it was, and, and the person who posted that subsequently apologized. I, I spoke to him an hour ago and he gave a very clear apology. I prayed with him. 
But I didn't say anything else because it's the job of the trustees. And that's strange for a lot of people. I think justice takes time and justice is not always perfect. But when people of good faith, and I do think most of the trustees are people of good faith, walk through a process and they came to the conclusion that he needed to go from this role immediately. He wasn't the president the next day. He wasn't the president the next hour. He was gone. And Jeff Bingham, who was uh, from right in this area, Western, lived here, was, was at Wheaton as an associate dean, is now the interim president. So, so what I would say is this. Social media sometimes forces and pushes transparency. I don't know. Does my article count as social media? Was that your site? Maybe it does. So it forces a conversation. Yeah. Well, I and I asked you over lunch the other day, and so I'll give you a chance to respond publicly. Is this uh, what you perceive Matthew 18 to be? Is this how church discipline is done in the internet age? It's a great question. And no, I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think we're members of the same church, though. And I think there's a great article, actually, by D.A. Carson, talks about abusing Matthew 18. I don't. I mean, this was a public conversation that I felt appropriate uh, stepping into and calling for change. Um, now, I will tell you, when I wrote the article critical of Richard Land, you know, I find, I, I'm actually, I, I think Richard Land is a, uh, is, a, is a man of great character. And so I called Richard up the night before, and I said, Richard, here's what I'm going to, and be, you know, people, all the people called my resignation the next day. I said, he said, that seems fair to me. And I, and I wrote the article the next day. And in this case, I didn't. And uh, partly I didn't because the tone of the conversation had shifted. It was explosive. And again, in this moment, somebody needed to say, this is not what we as Southern Baptists believe. You, I mean, I, I think it's a description of a, uh, quoting the young man, but using the word built in relationship to a 16-year-old girl. I have a 16-year-old daughter. I'm simply not. I mean, I would fire a youth pastor on the spot who made that illustration. Just right, come off, you're done. I wouldn't let him finish the message. And, and so for me, part of that is deeply personal as the father of daughters and one who's a 16-year-old. So again, I addressed it publicly because it's a public conversation, and somebody needed to say something that, and, and somebody, and this is, I don't know, and I'm not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing, because no, I don't work, I'm not a Southern Baptist employee anymore, but I've said things when I was a Southern Baptist employee, but I, I felt that enough people recognize me as whatever I am as a Southern Baptist leader. I'm not saying I'm the significant Southern Baptist leader, but I'm a voice that people recognize in Southern Baptist life. Who somebody has a platform, say, yeah. Well, going back to just the internet really quickly, though, I do think it's significant that these, as we've noted, this was a recording initially that had been made nearly two decades ago and was now gaining prominence and kind of had like second or maybe you're saying like third or fourth win in terms of, of gaining prominence, right? And and there wouldn't have been an easy way to circulate these initial remarks that hmm, that's a good point. drew him under fire without being able to have a place for it to disseminate it pretty yeah. quickly. No, that's fair. That's fair. So it does sort of spread things quickly. But I thought, I could be wrong. I don't think, I think the comments about the, uh, not the, not the abuse comments, but I think the comments about the- The sermon illustration the girl, where he describes a teenage girl. But, but I think that was within the social media age, I think. But I, I could be okay. wrong. I don't know. I think that was in the past 10 was years. Was it? Okay. So I, I don't, so that would be, yeah. I don't even remember, I don't know when Twitter started. All I know is it dominates my life today. Um, but, so I don't know, but I do think that it does allow things to spread quickly. And I would say a lot of things. I mean, I've seen a lot of horrible things said about Southern Baptists. I've seen a lot of horrible things said about Paige Patterson that are not true. So I do think social media does. I mean, this is so my, my uh, this is not a book plug. You can't buy the book. But my, my new book <laughs> is called uh, Christians in the Age of Outrage, bringing, out, bringing our best when the world's at its worst. In there, I have a whole chapter on digital discipleship and how we have to walk through, through this. I mean, this is so new and we need to think biblically about it. And not everybody who picks up a pitchfork and yells online knows the story. Um, but at the same time, I do think that there are 
I mean, we would not be having this Me Too moment if it weren't for social media and and well, uh, and, and in some ways, you know, when we talk about people not doing the story, that's like exactly the tricky point about this because sometimes precisely the people that don't know the story are the ones that are able to say like that's objectively wrong, right? Yeah. Because we've gotten to the place where we kind of like rationalize it as this is how this person is, and so it can be super clarifying when someone's like, I don't really care who that person is, yeah. but that that was an offensive thing to say, yeah. and then you have to kind of like grapple with that. I did have some sort of question that I raised when we talked about this a couple weeks ago, which was just about like the fact that these comments that he made were not like emails that somehow got leaked, right? These were comments that he made in public settings where yeah. he was before other Christians making these comments. And there was never a, a fallout about that because presumably he was making comments that either, either one, he was like too powerful and people don't want him to challenge him. Or two, he rep- he was preaching views that were represented by the people that he was with, so they didn't flag them as that. And my whole question had been, like, what had changed that people were seeing these? So that video clip that was filmed at a uh, church was actually uh, filmed at a church that didn't post it online because they found the comments to be not um, helpful or appropriate. And so when that church recreated their website, they had an unpublished videos and all their videos were published and the video was published again. Uh, and so um, now other places have now found this. There, this has been, this illustration has been used. I, I must confess, I use sermon illustrations in more than one location. I know that you would never do that here, <laughs> but, uh, but I do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so, so that's not exactly the case. And so, I would say that many people early on found it. But, but to be fair, to be fair though, does that sound different? And one of the things I have actually have a pastor friend who's challenged me to write uh, an article because um, he he was concerned about some of what I said. And he said, "Why don't you write an article about how are we going to address things that we would have given different advice or would have been acceptable to say thirty years ago that are now on tape when they come out?" Because imagine, I mean, there's an article someone sent me about whether or not you should, uh, and this was in the 50s in a newspaper, it was a, a debate column, whether or not you should spank your wife when she's inappropriate. Now, now again, I know that there's a whole lot of connotations to that, but that's not what the connotations were back then. And there were people pro and con, whether or not it's appropriate to give your wife a spanking a few decades ago. So I would hope that anybody who gave that advice uh, at this point would say, uh, you know what? And here's the great thing. Here's what would have been so great. Here's what would have been so great if, if Patterson would have said it this way. Yeah, you know what? I was trying to be funny. I get it. I'm sorry. I should not have said that then. I didn't have the clarity to know that I should not have said it then, but now we have greater clarity. Now, imagine what different conversation we'd be having and just saying, I'm sorry. Well, here's the reality. I think that's what a lot of people are going to have to do. Because you remember, I mean, it's an urban legend. It's not, it's not, I mean, the people debate whether it's true, but the expression, the rule of thumb, if people Google that, they'll go to a Wikipedia page. And the rule of thumb, some people have thought, was the size of a rod that you could use to beat your wife when she was disobedient. Now, again, the reality is you were allowed to do those things. And so herein is the challenge. That was wrong then, okay? It's wrong now. Some people might not have seen it as clearly then. And you might have a tape that's 40 years old if you're a pastor looking at this and been preaching that long. And if that, let's imagine if he acted like Billy Graham acted. Billy Graham, the tapes came out of the White House, the Nixon tapes saying him talking about Jews. He said, I, that's horrible. I don't even recognize that. It doesn't sound like me. I'm deeply sorry. That would have been a different, a different situation we're in right now today. I, I'm sure there's something I said in some of my early sermons that I deeply regret now. I, I didn't record them, but I have them all printed well, in files. Well, and hopefully 
your blind spots do get revealed to you over time, yeah. right? And yeah. it'd be nice if they got revealed to you all at the same time, so you could just never. Right. And, and so I think, I think we do have to be yeah. charitable toward people to try to understand what they were, what they were, th- what the environment was when they were saying what they were saying, and give them a chance to at least reflect on it and go, you know, either I, I stand by it or I'm an idiot. I'm sorry I said that. Yeah. And I would say in my life, there's some things that, uh, and again, I wasn't, you know, they were, they could record things on cassette tapes when I was a preacher, but nobody was listening or wanting my cassette tapes. There was like a long line. <laughs> no one's asked uh, for my uh, printed uh, sermons yes, either. And for still some today, reason. still today, no one's like, oh, can I get a copy of that? No, that's just not an issue. I'm not the world's greatest preacher. But I think that, I think that being quick to apologize goes a long way. This podcast is quick to listen, right? So let's be, I also think quick to apologize. And I think that that deeply that deeply matters. We have a different outcome. Now, it? also, there what plays a factor though is the current politics or the people's feeling about the person who is whose comments are That's being fair. listened to. No, I can. That's see a dynamic as well. And Paige Patterson has never been a likable person. Well, I think he's well loved by a lot of people, and yeah. and he's respected by a lot of people. And I've I'm always... not saying it was unfair what people did. I'm yeah, just yeah, saying that yeah. that plays a role. No, I get it. I get it. I, but I would say that for. Uh, Dr. Patterson has sent a lot of letters to a lot of people on a lot of issues. Uh, I have a, I have a, I have a little stack, and 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 I think uh, most most Southern Baptist leaders do. You didn't see because I think of the no criticism rule. You didn't see uh, people say things before the trustee meeting, um, but you didn't see people defending either. And you know, one of the things I wrote in my first article was really key. I mean, you know, Winston Churchill won the war, but he couldn't govern the peace. So Paige Patterson did win a theological war of which as a Southern Baptist, uh, I affirm. Now, again, 2007, 2006, 2007 is when I began to push back against his and others' desires to continue to narrow the parameters of SBC life, and it became more and more almost of an independent fundamental feel. And so that was sort of a, a battle that went on for a while. Matter of fact, that was, I mean, Frank Page, we mentioned earlier, that was when Frank Page was elected so, so that Southern Baptists would be center-right rather than hard-right, which is where I think Page Patterson would have it to be. So, but Patterson wanted more. I mean, he wasn't done yet. So there's more hills upon which to die. And so I think for Southern Baptists, Southern leaders like, um, you know, like, like entity heads, like, like, like Danny Aiken or Kevin Ezell or, or, or Al Mohler, who's written, or, or, you know, Jeff Orge and others, not trying to leave anybody out. But they would all say the doctrinal statement is conservative enough, whereas Paige Patterson wanted to, for example, say that you couldn't be a missionary if you weren't baptized appropriately in a... Uh, you know, in a certain way in a Southern Baptist church. Not, I mean, by immersion is, the, that's not a question, but if like we baptize in a free will Baptist, you have to be rebaptized. or missionaries aren't allowed to speak in tongues, uh, even if it's not a charismatic, it's not a driving issue for them. And so those narrowing of parameters led to major crises 10 years ago in the SBC. And that was where I sort of was engaged. I mean, there was motions to investigate me on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention in 2007. And I also preached at the annual meeting at the 2007. So not without challenge. That's where I think Page, in his desire to continue to move the convention to the right. So after Page Patterson issued the apologize for those who are uh, wounded, you know, there was a concerted effort that the megachurch pastors, there's a group of large church pastors, uh, many of whom are my friends, but within a few hours, every one of them were tweeting and retweeting the same thing because they were encouraged to do so. And so there's a sense, there's, there's a lot of people who are Retweeting as encouragement to him. Yeah, well, no, encouraged to do that in support of him. Yeah. They were saying, uh, like... Yeah. Look at him. A text you know, thanks went so out. much, Paige, te- yeah, for apologizing exactly. yeah, yeah. on this. A, t- okay. a text went out exhorting uh, people to to tweet, and they did. And I, and I, and I get it. So I, I want you not to see Paige Patterson. Nobody's the, As a the vilified exactly. Figure. Nobody's okay. a one-dimensional person. <laughs> okay, that's fair. And I, I think, Great. and again, for 
So Playboy magazine uh, published an article that, about my comments, which um, I've heard about, let's just say. Um, <laughs> uh, and they were very critical because I was um, because I actually said, you know, Paige Patterson will get a standing round of applause if he preaches the SPC because of his past work. And I think that to be true. And I'm thankful for much of his past work, not every way in which he did it and not every person I think that he went after. But I'm there's reasons that I'm thankful for some of those things. But now, you know, it's interesting because, you know, three weeks ago, it seemed like me cautiously laying out why the narrative, I think that one Southern Baptist hero needs to step away. Um, now is the, I mean, there's just been an incalculable damage the last three yeah, weeks. So you think that would be uh, damaging to have people applaud? Yeah. And I, and I will, I will publicly uh, oppose it and I will okay. try to make sure it doesn't happen. And, and I, I would mean, say, and again, I am not on a war path. Uh, but I think it would cause great and continual damage, and I think Paige Patterson needs to do the right thing and step down from that convention sermon. Now, the problem is no one can ask him to do that, but I know that he'll listen to this, and so I would ask him— Well, who asked him to do it? Please, well, it's a vote of the convention. and so the, so it was a previous so the convention. Messengers, right, so the, we, we don't call them delegates, but the messengers, and there will be a motion to change the convention schedule— for him not to speak at the convention, so an alternative will do so. And I don't see a scenario. The incalculable damage, Paige Patterson, I would ask you lovingly, the incalculable damage has already been done. Let's not further the damage by having you preach at the SBC, because the story will be that Southern Baptists do not take abuse seriously. It'll be combined with the Paul Pressler allegations and the current other issues going on. What we need is a fresh start, and someone is going to get up and talk about a future that includes dealing with some of these issues. Ed, can you actually just elaborate on these Paul Pressler? Okay, comments? so Paul, so Pressler and Patterson together, uh, they met at a cafe, uh, Cafe Dumont in and New Orleans. Pressler is a judge, judge. He's a federal in Texas. Judge. Is, that, is he a federal judge? I no, think I think he's, he's a state judge. He's a state judge. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he was a judge, and so not a pastor. And, and of course, Patterson was, uh, you know, was theologian, uh, leader, and, and more. And so they set out this plan. And the way you would change the Baptist Convention is electing the presidents, because the presidents, through a complicated machination, they actually appoint people and eventually. So there's a whole strategy whole that strategy. they lay out together. It was, and it was really a fascinatingly simple strategy: elect presidents like ten years in a row. By then, all the trustees will be appointed by your people, and you eventually move the 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 theological position of all those things. So one at a time, Southern Baptist entities went from being. I mean, they were never really like liberal, though. They were. I mean, when I went to I went to Southern Seminary before the conservative resurgence, and I I had one professor, adjunct professor, question the divinity of Christ um, and the virgin birth. You know, and that's at a Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So people who say, well, this wasn't necessary, weren't paying attention. So you elect a president, elect a president, elect a president. They appoint new trustees. It's not directly. There's like layers between the two. There's committees on committees and nominations anyway. And so so they architected that strategy. Um, and 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 it worked. I mean, it turned a denomination and in, in ways that others haven't been able to. So United Methodist evangelicals are trying to recapture United Methodism, and they don't have the same structures to do so. Um, so, but then Pressler had there's been a lawsuit. And, and so subsequently, that this things have been settled in the past. There have been uh, payments in the past. That doesn't mean there's an admission of guilt, but they're in payment of the past. And now other accusers have come forward. Now, again, I don't know. So there's been payment. There's been allegations for that what? he— Payment for what? Uh, what are the allegations? Uh, sexual abuse. Okay. Sexual abuse um, against a young man. And, of course, I don't—I am not following this case, but what's going to happen is these things are going to be brought together— and and that's what's going to be what it's going to boil down to. If Paige Patterson preaches the convention sermon, it's the architect of the conservative resurgence and Paul Pressler as well. These these people have been accused, and now with the Washington Post story, uh, which accused uh, this came out 
during the trustee meeting that uh, Dr. Patterson uh, did not adequately report or encourage somebody not to report a rape, which, which again, the trustees have said, and there's evidence that he did report. So again, I don't know these things, but what I do know is this. I know this is going to be the story at the Southern Baptist Convention if he preaches this message. And the best thing for Southern Baptists, and I, I, you know, Paige Patterson has given his life for Southern Baptists. All I'm asking is for him to give this for Southern Baptists so that we can move on with a message that talks about the things we need to address as we step into the future. Do you, don't you think it's a bit unfair to judge a congregation as to why they're applauding? So, for example, um, there was a lot of criticism for a pastor. Who was that pastor recently who— the guy down at High, High Point in Memphis? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of criticism. It was it was it was my article in your magazine that was the criticism. Yeah. So maybe I'm <laughs> criticizing you. Okay, so fair let's, enough. Let's, so let's, let's have just that go conversation. At it. Yeah. yeah. Andy Savage. Yeah, Andy Savage. Andy Savage. Yeah. And the assumption was they were applauding him because they approved of what he did, which which struck me as uh like I think frankly, the assumption was that his apology was sufficient and that somehow no, him No, yeah. So what the point I'm getting to is sometimes people applaud because they're basically saying, "Okay, they may even disagree with what you've done. They may have questions about what you've done. But their only way collectively they can say, we still love you and we still want to be a support to you is to applaud. Yeah. So okay. we have no idea why they're, why each individual is applauding. I've been in congregations yeah, sure. when someone stood up and then there's been this presentation of some sort. Which is exactly why you shouldn't put put people in that position, right? Like, you, isn't that You might want to listen to Morgan Lee here because your I objection, listen to Morgan Lee all the time and she's correcting me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> is wrong. I mean, people, people don't know we're friends, but not only is your objection wrong, I think it's really unhelpful. So let me let me push back a little bit. Uh, when some when there is a accusation of abuse, and what Chris Conley did, the pastor there, um, he I mean, you, I watched the whole service. It talks about forgiveness, talks about this, the worship, everything else leads to let's let's applaud. And he and, Con- and Conley said some things both about the about the uh, about Jules Jules Woodson as well, not by name at that time, but now it's I think, but now it's named. But here's here, but here's what I would say. I mean, that was what I wrote in your magazine was that was the standing ovation heard around the world because it was wrong. Other people said some of the things you said. I didn't. I was very clear in what I said. Here's what it boils down to is that has led the world to that impression, which I don't now, think. I Southern agree ba- with that. Right, but let me finish. Okay. I don't think yeah. Southern Baptists are abusers. Okay, I think I would wish you would come see the Southern Baptist no, that I, I know and, and love. I don't think, Southern but I know, Baptist I know, I know, you don't But let me finish. But, but so for, for for Paige Patterson to get up there, that's going to lead to the conclusion. So, do we have responsibility for the way no, things no, are perceived? No. Now, I think finishing I was making... my point, okay, <laughs> is is so back to the the Andy Savage thing. So, what should have happened, and it should have happened then over. It should happen at Willow Creek. You know, let's let's name it all out there. It should have happened. What should have happened is they said, hey, there have been allegations brought against our pastor. Uh, we want to hear, hear from anybody who has concerns. We're going to do an investigation uh, of this, and, uh, and we're asking you just to simply pray. Uh, we know that you love Andy or whoever, um, but this is the time for us to pray and walk through this, and as we investigate, we'll come out the other side, and we can do the right thing, whatever that is. That's what should have happened. And instead what happened and was... And instead the standing ovation. And so the ovation went Why over. was there an ovation? Well, because be- Bill Hybel stood up? Well, in that case, I mean, the people love... Why, people love I Bill know. Hybels. What I'm trying to get is oh, to tell the, me. what caused... What yeah. caused they, did, they weren't applauding abuse. I agree. And not, none of... I don't think people at Andy Savage's place were doing that. Yeah. I don't think... But it is Willow, perceived that way. And Willow elders have subsequently said, that's not how we should have handled that. Okay. And they're yeah. right. No, no. I, and I and you know what happened with Andy Savage? He's gone now. 
and and he's out of he's out of that church. And what I would say is is that in all of those cases, it's a reminder for all of us. So so the next time, because it's gonna some, there's gonna be an accusation, and not all of them are going to be true. So the next time, stand up and say, listen, there's been an allegation. It's not a frivolous allegation. Then I get that that's sometimes hard, but you get some you know random tweet or some whatever. Well, we've we've had initial conversation. All conversations need to be followed up and taken seriously. And then an investigation. And when an investigation is announced, it's not, hey, this is all settled. Let's yeah. move on. Yeah. It's not. You got to do the investigation. Yeah, I think what I'm arguing is I don't think it's fair to dump on the congregation for applauding. I do think it's fair to dump on the leaders for setting up a situation where they're they're put in that position. And I, I would under, I understand the impulse. Because you love people and yeah. you can, and you want yeah. to protect them, but when we love people and we protect leaders, so imagine—I mean, I'm not even talking about a PR backfire—but imagine you're a person who's been, um, you know, a survivor of a sexual assault. So what do you hear? Well, yeah, it was mentioned, exactly. and no. you heard the church applaud the pastor. Right, exactly. So I think therein is the challenge: is that we've got to think, and this is hard for people, and I think Southern Baptists have started thinking this way. We got to think: don't circle the wagons. But instead, do the right thing and make sure victims know or survivors know that they're heard and they're loved. That's a very that's a very good way to frame it. I think. How are different people going to hear this if this happens, and then they make a decision even, based on that? They can even learn from last year's alt right situation. <laughs> well, Southern Baptists, you're talking about Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, Southern Baptists seem to consistently want to shoot themselves in the foot. And... Which, I mean, again, I think many people thought the alt right situation, if you like looked into the weeds, had nothing to do with actual racism that oh, was going on. Absolutely. But absolutely. that most people, as I've seen as a, like a one-liner and many argue or discussions about evangelicals and race over the years, it was the fact that it took so long for this resolution to be... It was it was poorly right done. The, the resolution committee apologized. But I mean, there was not... No one was arguing for the alt-right. Well, what, I, what I'm trying to say right. is that because it took so long and because there was a delay, it's been allowed to promote a particular really narrative did. that and, people and, may not feel. And again, I think... I think this Paige Patterson debacle has caused more damage than that. But that caused, I mean, how many, how many times do you want to be stepping into really ferociously bad decisions that then lead to global embarrassment that teach people you're not a safe place for people of other races and for women as well? And I think that ultimately, again, that's why Paige Patterson needs to not give. And again, so I don't what not miss this, you know, I don't plan to say things between now and the Southern Baptist Convention, unless Paige Patterson Which is, is giving the message. Uh, it's coming up in mid-June. Was it June 11th, 12th, something okay. like that? Okay. I'll, be at, I'll be at Microphone 7 if you'd like to uh, come okay. and visit the All SBC. Right. With Which will be where? I have no idea. They move around. But there's a big hall, and you get a microphone, and anyway. So what's the, what, uh, is this uh, the beginning of a possible retakeover by the moderates? The real oh, mo- my gosh. The, the real moderates. No, no, first of all, you, you are horrible for understanding Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the real moderates. No, first no, no. of all, there's no, we're all, there's no, matter of fact, it's interesting. Okay, what do you, you call Paige Patterson, okay. you say he is too, hard, too hard, far right. right. Hard what right do you call right. yourself? I would be, uh, well, you know, everyone's the perfect balance of exactly. this. Exactly, so you are. I, I'm a conservative. It goes, it goes without saying that I'm a conservative balance. evangelical, which is why I'm happy to be a Christianity Today to provide that voice <laughs> in this context. <laughs> so, um, so I would say, the language I use, it's not perfect. Is that uh, I would be, you know, the, the center right. So the center right would be people that I mentioned earlier, like like Tom Rainer, Ke- Kevin Ezell, um, Danny Aiken. So they all would be. Okay, uh, is this an opportunity for the center then? Well, I think to, I think, to gain ascendancy. I think the center has already gained ascendancy, and I think even the election here is uh, J.D. Greer uh, and Ken Hemphill, who are both wonderful friends of mine and and good people. 
you know, Hemphill has sort of been connected with, and I, and I and I actually hope he'll disconnect himself from this Connect 316 people because of some of the things that we've really seen come out of that that are super unhelpful. But Hemphill's the real deal. Uh, he was actually, he left Southwestern. Patterson came in after. Um, he's He loves global missions and evangelism. This sounds like an endorsement because J.D. Greer is one of my one of my close friends. I've preached for him. I've done his conferences. So, so again, this is not really, there's some generational tensions here. There's some uh, perceived Calvinism, though J.D.'s not a Calvinist in the, the full sense of the word, uh, versus, and there's some issues about state conventions. There's a lot. That's a whole nother podcast. But what I would say is that the, uh, I, I think in a sense, that already is the case. The battle for narrowing the parameters, which Paige Patterson led, along with several others, was actually is not is no longer the case. So you can be a missionary, um, you know, in ways that that were just you know eliminated before. You know, ten years ago in Southern Baptist Life, I was concerned about three things, and this is what I preached at uh, I, when I spoke at the SBC in 2007, San Antonio, I think it was, or maybe it was six. I said, "Look around this room. It's a room full of older people, white hair." I said, "This is the only place I go every year where I feel young and thin." <laughs> and and I and, and I said that's got to change. I said in that message, if the fifties come back, we're ready to go, but we don't live there anymore. And I my my theme was two thousand seven was we got to have young leaders. We got to get focused on church planning. We got to stop the denominational infighting. We got to you know and and I think the North American Mission Boards that's the church planning arm is doing good job moving forward church planning. I think uh, you know there's some challenges you know, with the IMB, but but I think the parameters weren't narrowed so. So these are, so I'm not there anymore. I'm not an employee. I'll be at the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm a Southern Baptist. But I think that the Southern Baptist Convention is being led by, the way we put it, center-right, hard-right, whatever. Here's what it is. Conservative, inerrantist, evangelical Baptists. And that's who Southern Baptists are. I think, un, and, and, and I think unfortunately, this Paige Patterson thing has, um, I really wish you'd, let's come meet the Southern Baptists that I know. And they are I'm, wonderful. I don't know people. why you think I think. Southern I'm not. Baptist. I'm talking to the listeners. I'm talking oh, to listeners. Okay. All right, so all right, all right. come meet the Southern Baptist that I know. Who, You're looking at me though. Who? Well, wait. Where am I? I'm going to look at. All right, I'm look at Morgan. Does that make you less uncomfortable, Morgan? <laughs> I'm looking at you. Come meet the Southern Baptist <laughs> that I know. They're wonderful. Take you up on that. Thank you. They're wonderful. They love Jesus. It's not. I mean, it's not that every denomination's got a few, you know, cray cray uncles out there, but they don't define the movement. They're planting churches. They're serving the poor. They're engaged. Send Relief is the third largest disaster relief agency in the country. All right, we're going to wrap because no, this is not a PR so, <laughs> time. But I need you to know that this is not— uh, They shouldn't well, define how yeah, we I, think I, about I the Southern this Baptist. This is not who we are, and I think yeah. part of it is who we are. We've got to address that, but let's fix this. As more people speak up, I'm, I'm glad to see people speaking up more and more. Hopefully this will build courage and we can have an important conversation. Okay, great. Thanks, Ed. You're all right, welcome. send all your feedback. Don't send it to Ed. Send it to us. You can do that. <laughs> I've gotten plenty of feedback the last month, I assure you. Please. We would love feedback. If it's thoughtful, we'll even read it on the show. You can do that by going to Twitter, at CT Podcasts. You can send us an email at podcast at christianitytoday.com. We look forward to reading it. All right. Now is the time of the show we call Precious Moments, which is when we ask everyone to share something that is bringing them joy. I thought that was a Lifeway reference because we would sell precious moments in some Lifeway stores. It's a double entendre. Okay, good. I like it. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. I love those. Exactly. So, all right. I'll go first this time just to change it up. My precious moment this week is I started training for a triathlon. 
Oh my gosh. So same with me. That's my precious moment as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a precious moment. That's a difficult yeah, moment. Why, so it, when will this be? It's the end of August. It's a Chicago triathlon. There's no wow. way you can train between now and then. All right, Mark. August. Thank yeah. you for... Mark, you and I meet for lunch, <laughs> so I don't think we should be talking to Morgan about whether or not she can do this. I'm really... When I got to go in the swimming, I haven't been swimming in a while this week. So I guess I have to train basically to work up to doing the training. The training is kind of intense. Of I'll course. Yeah. <laughs> kind of intense. It's triathlon, but it's kind of intense. You know what that'd be for you and me? Hospitalized <laughs> intense. <laughs> I'm just like, where am I going to find the time to do this? It's like two hours. You're doing of podcasts all day. It's true. I know. So. We should do podcasts. No, I do. I, seriously, I wish you well. I think it would be great. I ran one marathon in my life, and I'm glad I did it. Yeah. And I, I, I was like glad I did a marathon, too. I still would like to do another marathon this year. But the triathlon, I'm just I'm like, this is perfect because it's the summer. So you want all the excuses that you can to be outside, which a triathlon does. Anyway, I'll keep everybody posted about how that's going to go. People can find me on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Mark? Okay. Uh, my precious moment was last weekend. We got to be the grandparent sitters for my two grandchildren here in West Chicago. So, what did you guys do? So we did things like, Barb did most of the, I had to do a lot of things with her by herself because I had things to do. But the things we did together included uh, a nice canoe, canoeing around Blackwell, uh, Silver Lake at Blackwell, and doing stuff at night. and just having a good time. And of course, the grandkids, it's it's always great when you do that because the kids are always on their best behavior when the parents aren't around. You think so? Or you just have that, that that's been, on that? No, that's, kind of, it's that, that's not an uncommon experience where the kids, because they know they can kind of get away with stuff with their parents. They know how to manipulate them and stuff. And But they're when with, they're when with, they were just well-behaved, said thank you, were courteous, awesome. were pleasant to be just with. Just bring out the best in people, Mark. So there we go. It was just a fun, fun weekend. Where can people read your newsletter? Uh, the Galley Report is published every week. You can get it on ChristianityToday.com slash The Galley Report. That's spelled G-A-L-L-I. And I link to articles and comment on them. And once in a while, I comment on an Ed Stetzer article. And once in a while, I comment on a Christianity Today article. There you go. <laughs> Turn the favor. <laughs> Ed, do you have a precious moment? Uh, actually, trying to explain that Southern Baptists are not moderates to Mark Gelly has been my... <laughs> a non-sarcastic <laughs> one. Oh, a non-sarcastic one. Well, you mentioned as it came in, the chinchilla. So um, I have three daughters, which rocks, and uh, one of them is my middle daughter, and she's fostering animals, which means I'm fostering animals. Um, so, But the chinchilla... Which I think has subsequently been adopted. There's like seven we have right now, so I'm not even sure. You have seven chinchillas? We, no, no. Like we have rabbits. I mean, we got a little section in our basement that's all because they're we're fostering. This is a Stetzer daughter. This is a Stetzer daughter for sure. So, um, so we come down there, and the chinchilla is not in the cage, and it's gotten through. It's got out somehow, and it's in our basement. Our basement's, you know, like a lot of basements got a bunch of storage stuff. And you have never lived until you spend 30 minutes trying to catch a chinchilla that's hiding under your chairs. They're fast, but they're like fragile. So you want to just, you know, for your dog, you'd grab your dog, but you can't grab a chinchilla. It's like you gotta, it's like grabbing a butterfly. Anyway, so 30 minutes running around the basement trying to catch a chinchilla. But you perfected the strategy. We did. It was like I had to, because Caitlin, uh, excuse me, Jacqueline, who's very concerned, she said, Dad, you will crush it. So I'm going to have to catch it. So my job was to take this uh, broom and to make little noises behind it so it would kind of move down there. And then finally we found that we set it up. There's one place it could go, and then it couldn't go back to me, and they like, got it. And so I love my kids and uh, got a great So family. sad that's not on tape. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it was, it was quite a day. 
Ed, you are very reachable online, but where do you want people to interact with I guess with Twitter you? is at Ed Stetzer. You can email me at markgalley at christianitytoday.com, <laughs> <laughs> which is not, I don't think, your actual email. I hope not, because I didn't want to give that out there. It is uh, my Twitter handle. It is your Twitter handle. Yeah, go follow it at markgalley, G-A-L-L-I, and I'm at... I'd love to read some of that hate mail. Exactly. I don't get I don't get enough myself. <laughs> Easiest way to connect with me is at microphone seven of the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> okay. Noted. <laughs> All right, guys, that is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the special edition episode of Quick to Listen. It's been great to have you. You can tell us how much you like that podcast right now on Apple Podcasts. The podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, most places where you want to get podcasts. We are there. It's produced by myself, Richard Clark, and Craig Elred, and we will see you next week.